Chapter Twelve of the Black Fawn by James Arthur Kelgard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The next morning, when Gramps and Bud returned to the Black Buck's track, the light was too dim for shooting and even for adequate tracking. A brisk little wind sent snow devils whirling before it and the wind had blown most of the night, reducing the sharply imprinted tracks the black buck had left the day before to shallow depressions in the snow. The clouds were darker than yesterday, and snow drifted down from them and mingled with the snow devils. The valley below them looked as black as though it was still midnight there, and above it, where Gramps and Bud were standing, the snow glowed weirdly in the pale light. Bud shivered, but he was grateful, too, for the very element seemed to have conspired to save the fleeing black buck. Even Gramps couldn't hope to win against such odds as these. Bud grew more and more uneasy as he stood there helplessly, not knowing what to do. Gramps seemed baffled, too, reluctant either to go on or to turn back. The old man raised his rifle sighted at the black trunk of a birch tree about fifty yards away, and then lowered his rifle uncertainly. He could be thirty yards away and the size of an elephant, and I still couldn't get my sights on him, Gramps said quietly. That's what comes of selling a wise old buck short. He knew what he was doing when he came into the hills. He figured we were after him down in the swamp, and was sure of it when we got on his tail. But he also knew there'd be more snow, and he counted on it to cover his tracks. "'He's wise, all right,' Bud said with secret elation. Yesterday he had seen nothing except doom for the black buck. But the buck had a wild wisdom all his own, and thanks to that and to the falling snow, he had escaped his pursuers. If his tracks were covered up by the snow, he might still live to reign once more in Bennett's woods. "'We'll have to do our best, anyhow,' Gramps said. "'If that pack finds him first, what's left won't be worth our carrying home.'" Gramps's words were like an electric shock to Bud. He had thought of the pack and its pursuit of the buck, but it had not occurred to him that the wild dogs were competing with him and Gramps on equal terms. At the thought of the black buck as a piece of meat that happened to be charged with life, a prize contested for by Gramps and a pack of wild dogs, Bud could hardly keep from retching. He felt as if he had been swept back to the grim, loveless world he had known before he had come to the Bennetts. "'I think you're right.' Bud finally managed to answer. "'Let's get moving, then,' Gramps said, and started off in the semi-darkness with Bud behind him. The buck had continued to run, twenty feet to the leap, even after the dogs had finally left his tracks the afternoon before. But the snow had shifted so much during the night that the places where he had landed were now so vaguely defined that Gramps and Bud's pace was agonizingly slow. 
They must go faster than this, Bud thought as he reached down for a handful of snow to cool his burning mouth. If it would mean the end of his good fortune if Gramps killed the buck, it would be even worse if the wild dogs killed him, for then Gramps's dream would be destroyed too. Restraining an impulse to rush past Gramps and find the black buck in a burst of speed, Bud began to watch Gramps, and he grew less desperate as he saw the old man in action. The sullen light was too dim to see from one set of the black buck's tracks to the next, but Gramps never failed to know in which direction the buck had leaped. Gramps seemed to be thinking not as Delbert Bennett, but as the black buck himself. Perhaps the black buck enjoyed matching wits with hunters, just as old Yellowfoot seemed to, perhaps because he, too, was sure he could escape them. But wild dogs were different. The black buck had never run as far or as wildly with Gramps and Bud following him as he had even after the wild pack had stopped following. Plainly, he knew what wild dogs would do, and he was terrified. The night lifted so slowly that its rise was almost imperceptible, and when dawn finally came, the clouds remained so dark that it did not seem to be day at all. But when he sighted on a tree about three hundred yards away and could see a knot-hole over the sights, Bud knew there was at least shooting light. They were about a mile and a half from where they had returned to track the black buck, where the tracks dipped into a gully whose only growth was wind-whipped aspens, the buck had slowed from a frantic run to a fast walk. Now that they were closer together and the light was stronger, the tracks were easier to follow. They turned straight up the gully toward the top of the hill. Gramps halted and Bud stopped behind him without speaking. Bud's desperate urge to hurry was gone, for by now he knew better than to try to do in haste what had to be done slowly. Gramps had performed a miracle in bringing them this far, and Bud realized that such mastery of the wilds was the result of love for wild places and wild things, as well as skill and the desire to conquer. Then Gramps spoke. He knows nothing's on his track anymore, and he thinks he's safe for a while. He's heading toward that patch of hemlocks on top of the hill, because he's been pushed hard and needs a rest, and he can rest safely there. He's working back in the direction of the farm, because there'll be more snow, and he might have to get out of the hills in a hurry. He can do it by going down any of those deep gullies. But he knows those critters as well as I do, and he's going to be a mighty spooky buck until he's shaken that pack. He never was much afraid of us, but he's afraid of them. Will the dogs be back? Bud's voice shook. Gramps said grimly, If they don't come, it's the first pack ever got on game and left it. They can't have that buck. I've marked him. Come on. Leaving the tracks of the black buck, Gramps went straight across the gully, fought halfway through a thigh-deep drift, 
and halted. Bud looked up in alarm, but there wasn't the terrible wheezing and the anguished fight for breath that there had been when Gramps suffered his attacks. His face was streaked with perspiration, but its color was normal. He had only stopped to rest, and after a moment he broke through the drift and quartered up the slope. Bud felt uneasily that he ought to be taking his turn breaking trail, but he knew better than to offer. It was Gramps's hunt, and the buck was Gramps's prize, and only Gramps knew what to do. It was hard to imagine these hills as they were in the full bloom of summer, when anxious does hovered there near spotted fawns hidden in thickets, and summer sluggish bucks, their antlers velvet-sheathed, moved out of the way as placidly as grazing cattle. In the summer, too, grouse and wild turkeys brought their downy young to feed there. Now, in the stormy depths of winter, the hills looked like a desert of snow, although not all the wildlife had fled. Cottontail rabbits huddled in their burrows, and snowshoe hares crept about in the thickets. No doubt foxes and weasels were sheltering there from the storm, and probably a few grouse and turkeys were still on the hills, too. But not even the track of a mouse could be seen in the virgin snow. Bud glanced toward the valley and could see only a part of the way down the slope through the falling snow. There was life in abundance down there, and for a moment he wished he were out of these hills, where there seemed to be nothing but snow and a grim determination to end the black buck's life. After Gramps had stopped to rest two more times, they broke over the crest of the hill. They traveled faster now, for although the snow was as deep as ever, the going was downhill. It was like coming out of the desert into an oasis when a grove of hemlocks loomed ahead. The hemlocks were partly covered with snow, but their green needles were visible. They looked like Christmas trees decorated with great puffs of cotton. Gramps entered the hemlocks very slowly, with his rifle half-raised, and Bud almost hoped they would find the black buck in the grove and put an end to this almost unbearable uncertainty. But all they found, deep in the hemlocks, was a bed in which the weary buck had finally lain down. Apparently he had left it shortly before Gramps and Bud had returned to following his tracks that morning, for very little snow covered the tracks leading away. When they came to the bed, Gramps stopped and said to Bud, "'He's going to have himself a feed of beech nuts. Then he'll mosey down the hilltop to see if anything is on his trail. If he finds nothing, pretty soon he'll go back to the valley.' He's afraid of this snow. They came to a grove of gray-trunked beech trees so massive that they seemed impregnable to the wind and storm. Gramps and Bud were still a hundred yards away when they saw a pile of leaves freshly pawed through the snow and knew that the buck had been scraping for beech nuts. These tiny nuts came down like hail when the first frost opened their green pods and there had been a great harvest of them that year. 
Swiftly, Gramps approached the place where the buck had been pawing, for the giant beech trees were widely separated and there was no brush to obscure the view. If the black buck was in the grove, they would see him. When they came to the scraped leaves, Gramps stopped again. From where he stood, the tracks of the wild dogs could be seen leading out of the beech grove and joining those of the black buck. Gramps made a sound that was half a gasp and half a growl, and without looking back began to move with giant strides along the mingled tracks. Bud hung back for a second. He had hunted and fished with Gramps hundreds of times, but he had never seen him react this way. Usually Gramps approached his quarry eagerly, but with a kind of reverence, too. Now Gramps seemed to have become a ferocious killer for whom the game was no longer a sport. Bud could only follow Gramps numbly, but it seemed to him that it had only become a question of whether Gramps or the wild dogs would kill the black buck first. The buck was again making great leaps as the pack coursed him. Bud did not dare talk to Gramps, but he knew that no deer could maintain such a furious pace for long. And the longer-winded wild dogs could go on indefinitely. Two miles after the pack had taken up the chase again, Gramps and Bud came upon the place where the dogs had first caught up with their quarry, and the trampled snow made it easy to reconstruct the scene. Pressed to his limit, the black buck had backed his haunches against a tangled windfall and waited with lowered antlers as the pack came on. The dogs had rushed and fainted, hoping to draw the buck out and make him expose his vulnerable flanks and hocks. "'Look!' Bud said when he saw a patch of blood thinly covered by new snow. "'That ain't the black buck's blood,' Gramps said. If it was, he never would have got out of here alive. He's hooked one of the dogs. They're not as anxious as they were. It was true, Bud decided, as he and Gramps raced on. The buck was still running hard, but he was no longer taking the same mighty leaps. No doubt that was partly because he was tired, but he had also taught the pack to respect him. Although they could have closed in on him, they had held off for another two and a half miles. Then, on the rim of a shallow gully, the dogs had come forward with a determined rush. But the buck had backed up against three small trees whose trunks formed a triangle and held them off. There was no blood here, but when the buck had left, his leaps had been very short. He ain't going much farther, Gramps said grimly, and he'll try to get back into the valleys where the snow ain't as deep. Come on, Hagen's Flat's the place he'll head for. Gramps left the trail to quarter down the slope. Bud followed, not sure whether this was the right tactic, but not daring to question it. Gramps led them back down the snowy, lifeless slope, and they ran on and on until Bud was sure they would run out of this world and into the next. When they came to the near side of a valley that sloped downward, 
they saw the black buck at bay across the valley. This time there was no shelter for his haunches, and his feet were no longer nimble as the pack rushed him. The dogs were as big as wolves and determined to kill their quarry without getting hurt themselves. Two of the four wild dogs lunged at the black buck's haunches, but when he whirled around to confront them, they danced away and the other two dogs rushed in. Bud was looking on, frozen with horror, when the sudden sharp crack of Gramps' rifle startled him out of his trance. It was too far for any marksman who had been running, and he missed. The dogs turned to run, and Gramps shot again, missing this time, too. For a short time the black buck stayed where he was. Then he turned to go on, but his steps were very slow and very tired. He stumbled and almost fell. When he came to a drift so deep that the snow reached his shoulders, he stopped, too exhausted to move. He gave no sign of fear when Gramps and Bud came up to him. There was a serenity and a dignity about him, as if, having done his best and fought his hardest, he could do no more and was prepared for whatever he had to face. As he looked at the buck there in the snowdrift, Bud thought of that summer day so long ago when the black buck had been a tiny fawn in his arms. The fawn had given Bud the courage to face life during those first days at Bennett's farm, and now what Bud had learned then was reconfirmed in the grown buck's quiet resignation to whatever fate had in store for him. Bud knew that he could fondle the buck now if he wanted to, the buck had no strength left to resist, and his great antlers were as useless as those on the mounted head in the Bennett's living room. Then there was a click as Gramps slipped the catch of his rifle from safe to fire. Gramps had his prize. The black buck was less than two yards away from him, and he couldn't miss. Bud waited for a shot, but none came. Kite down to the barn and fetch the toboggan and a good strong hank of rope, Bud, Gramps said finally. I'll wait here and see if those critters come back. I hope they do, but even if they don't, now that we know where they are, we'll get them on this snow. Outside the wind howled and the snow swept down but the kitchen stove radiated warmth to every corner of the room. It even seemed to warm his heart, Bud thought, although he knew that couldn't be. "'You sure he'll be all right?' he asked Gramps. "'Dead sure,' Gramps said. "'He couldn't even wiggle when we tied him on the toboggan, but he'll be full of beans in a few days. Time deer season ends,' He'll have enough hay and grain in him so he'll be able to make his way back into Bennett's woods. Gramps chuckled. You and me will just open that box stall and watch him kite out. Aren't you sorry? Bud asked. Heck no, Gramps said. He'll carry a bigger rack than ever next year, 
and it'll be bigger still the year after. End of chapter 12 Recording by Roger Moline End of The Black Fawn by James Arthur Kelgard